This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Words of Integration and Guidance by Henri Nouwen. Do not hesitate to love and to love deeply. You might be afraid of the pain that deep love can cause. When those you love deeply reject you, leave you, or die, your heart will be broken. But that should not hold you back from loving deeply. The pain that comes from deep love makes your love ever more fruitful. It is like a plow that breaks the ground to allow the seed to take root and grow into a strong plant. Every time you experience the pain of rejection, absence, or death, you are faced with a choice. You can become bitter and decide not to love again, or you can stand straight in your pain and let the soil on which you stand become richer and more able to give life to new seeds. Those you have deeply loved become part of you. The longer you live, there will always be more people to be loved by you and to become part of your inner community. The wider your inner community becomes, the more easily you will recognize your own brothers and sisters in the strangers around you. Those who are alive within you will recognize those who are alive around you. The wider the community of your heart, the wider the community around you. Thus, the pain of rejection, absence, and death can become fruitful. Yes, as you love deeply, the ground of your heart will be broken more and more, but you will rejoice in the abundance of the fruit it will bear. A reading of scripture from Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 through 12. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as the Zoar. The Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He was buried in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and the entire land, and for all the mighty deeds and all the displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And thanks be to God. The 
Holy Gospel according to Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He, that is Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. If you've ever been house hunting, you've been looking for a place to call your own, a place perhaps to raise a family or live with a partner or a roommate or a friend. And you put in that offer and it gets accepted. Hooray! But what comes next? Inspection. That dreaded home inspection. I found a list of the seven worst things to hear in a home inspection. And apologies if uh, this brings up any bad memories or if you feel like this describes where you're living now. <laughs> Number seven, we'll start at the bottom. Uh, seven worst things to hear in a home inspection. Number seven, the age of the electrical system. If you're looking at a home, it says that has an old pre-1960 knob and tube style electrical system. Look elsewhere. Do you know that kind? Have you ever seen or heard of that? It's out there. I've, I've seen, seen it. Those systems don't meet code, of course, today, and likely the whole system has to be replaced, and that's going to be pretty extensive labor and uh, quite an quite a undertaking. Number six, vermin. <laughs> almost don't need to say more, right? Mice, bats, raccoons, termites, and other little animals can do a lot of damage if they go undetected for a long time. Often it's only when an inspector peels things back that you see the electrical wiring has been devastated by squirrels. I feel like that could be a good title for an autobiography. Devastated by squirrels. <laughs> Coming to a theater near you. I'd read, I'd read that one. Uh, number five, furnace issues. If the heater goes in a home's furnace, the only way to fix it is to get, the new, get a brand new furnace. That can be pretty expensive. Some of you are nodding, maybe know from experience. Number four, roof problems. That dreaded roof. If you see curling shingles on the roof or water damage on the ceiling of a home, you know there might be issues with the roof. And which brings us to number three, which is water damage. If there's standing water in the basement or evidence of water leaks in a home, warning sirens should go off as you're looking at this house. Number two, mold. While surface mold in a poorly ventilated uh, bathroom might be normal, black mold that can show up in a home's basement or crawl space is an entirely different story and can have pretty serious health uh, consequences. Number one, the worst thing to hear in a home inspection is what? Uh, 
foundation. The foundation. The foundation. You do not want to see the words foundation problems anywhere on your inspection, home inspection report. If the home inspector puts a golf ball on one side of the house and it rolls to the other side, well, maybe there's an issue, but some of you live in those kinds of houses and have enjoyed that game, I'm sure. <laughs> but number one was the foundation. Uh, and the strength, they say, of a building lies in its foundation. The main purpose of the foundation is to hold the structure upright, uh, hold it steady. And on the contrary, a poorly constructed foundation can be dangerous to the occupants, those who are living there, but it can also be dangerous to the neighborhood. Because it have to be pretty severe, you know, and maybe they're talking about a, a building tipping over or something that would be pretty severe foundation problem, but I would contend that in the same way, if our theology or our way of seeing the world is built on a bad foundation, it can be dangerous to the occupants, those who hold that theology, and it can also be dangerous to the neighborhood. It can be dangerous to the wider world. So what should our foundation be? What should be at the base of our theology? Well, Jesus was a teacher within an ancient religious tradition, Judaism, that had lots of wisdom that had been handed down through the ages. The core of that religious tradition was known as the Torah, or the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Torah could also alternatively refer to the whole of written scripture, the entire Hebrew Bible. Or it could also include even more than that. It could, it could include the oral Torah. It could read all of the laws and the rules of the Mishnah, which were rules added upon all of the commands and rules of the Torah. Or it could also include the Gemara, which was discussion and debate about all of the rules upon the rules that are found in the Mishnah. Or it could include both of those, which is the Talmud, which is the Gemara and the Mishnah put together. Any or all of that could be referred to as Torah. And so it is a tradition into which Jesus, and some of this was still in formation in Jesus' time, uh, but this tradition had an, a growing and extensive collection of teachings, wisdom, rules, and commandments. In the Torah alone, that is the five books of Moses, tradition held that there were 613 commandments that God had given through Moses. We just read about the end of Moses' life and that no teacher had ever, ever arisen in Israel like Moses. So it is a venerable tradition with great teachers, prophets, and leaders. And for many Jews, Torah study was regarded as the most important of all the commands, all the mitzvahs, Torah study. Because as the Talmud said, uh, well, because it opens the door, right, for the observance of all the other commands. So if you're not studying the Torah, then you're not going to know any of the commands. So that was understood often to be the first command. 
The Talmud says the study of Torah is equal to the sum of all the other mitzvahs or all the other commands. Rabbi Akiva in the Talmud states that to expect a Jew to live without Torah is like expecting a fish to live without water. And so when Jesus is asked, Teacher, which commandment in the Torah is the greatest? We're going to have some of this in the back of our minds, that there is a whole lot going on. And this is a huge and extensive tradition. They're asking, this Torah, which we love, which God gave to Moses, which is filled with commands on how to live as God wants us to live, pick one. Which one is the greatest? Jesus famously replies, as we just heard, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And here is where we might be tempted to say that Jesus blows them all away or catches them by surprise. Tempted to say that he's perhaps said something that they've never heard before. And some commentators uh, through the years, past and present, have suggested as much. Jesus, though, is quoting from the Torah, unsurprisingly, which of the commands is the greatest. So he quotes from the Torah and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 5, a very famous part of the Torah known as the Shema. The Shema. And the Shema begins a verse earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. With Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Well, how important is this text in the Torah known as the Shema? One writer puts it, ever since the Second Temple period, the Shema has been part of the daily temple and synagogue service. In the liturgy, it's recited twice daily. It is called out to finish the Yom Kippur service and repeated when the Torah is taken out to read. It is the last word on a child's mouth before she goes to sleep, as well as the words on a dying person's lips before he breathes his last breath. So Jesus, in a response that probably wasn't surprising at all, says that loving God with all of one's heart, soul, mind, and strength is the first and the greatest commandment. And before we can start wondering about what that means, he follows it up quickly with, a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And here he is quoting the Torah in Leviticus 19.18. And so out of all the commands in the Torah, Jesus singles out two that could be summed up by a single word, love. Love. Love of God and love of neighbor. And then Jesus says, on these two commandments hangs all the law and the prophets. Or another way of saying, all of Scripture, everything flows from this. Everything flows from love. You start with love and everything else comes from that. Or if we were to turn that imagery around, love is the foundation on which everything else is built. 
And remember what we said at the outset about the importance of a foundation for just a home or a building. The strength of a building lies in its foundation. A poorly constructed foundation could be dangerous to the occupants and to the neighborhood. So Jesus, in his response, is not dismissing the Torah or saying the other commandments don't matter. He's simply saying that at base, it all has to stem from or be built upon love. Now, interestingly, Jesus, in this same gospel, in Matthew, in chapter 6.24, speaks about a foundation. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew, kind of like our week earlier this week. The rains just kept coming down. And they beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. How did that person have a good foundation? He said, the one who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. If we hear and then do, we have a foundation for everything else. And the Shema, which Jesus quotes in Deuteronomy 6, begins with that same call to listen. In fact, the word Shema is simply the Hebrew word for hear. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. Love is the foundation. Now the religious duties in the first century could perhaps feel overwhelming for the people in Jesus' audience. So many commands to adhere to, so many obligations, temple tax, Sabbath observance, ritual washings, guidelines for separating clean and unclean, kosher diet. It was a lot, right? What can we eat? What can we not eat? Some of us are familiar with that, with the different diets we're going on these days, right? If you're hosting a meal, it's like, well, who's gluten-free and who's this and who's that? But all of these things could feel overwhelming, and it would be very easy to lose the forest for the trees. And we might feel the same today. The life of faith or life in the church can feel complicated. What are the rules? What does God want? from me? Am I doing it right? In fact, this might be what keeps many from even bothering with church in the first place. Too many rules, written or unwritten, too much religious language, too many requirements, theology that's too complicated. Why bother? And it can also be difficult to be simply a person of compassion these days. There are so many issues to care about. So many things to be outraged about. So many petitions, so many marches, so many protests. And if you care about justice, about inclusion, about human rights, about the earth, about immigration, about health care, about discrimination and racism, about mass incarceration, about climate change, about sexism, about misogyny and homophobia. If you care about all of these things, it can begin to feel complicated and overwhelming and too much. What am I supposed to do? And I might do it wrong or not enough. To his audience and to us, Jesus 
He says, remember that at the base, at the bottom, at the core, if we boiled it down to its essentials, it is about love. It's about love. Everything else flows from that. And so Jesus isn't so much saying something new to his audience as much as reminding them of what's at the core of their tradition already. He, like a good spiritual teacher will do, is reminding them of what they already know. And we all need those reminders from time to time. This weekend marks the 500th anniversary of when Martin Luther nailed those 95 theses to a church door in Wittenberg, Germany. Because the church needed some reminders. Some things had been forgotten. Martin Luther said it's not about hierarchy and authority and rules and indulgences. It's about the free grace of God that is extended to all. It's about the love and forgiveness of God that God graciously offers without any strings. And when life gets overwhelming and cluttered and we experience doubt and challenge and suffering, hearing that simple reminder is like a breath of fresh air. At bottom, it is about love. And love is is something that we always have within us. We just need to open ourselves to it. You'll notice on the front of your program, in your bulletin, it says, Quote from Rumi, love, the supreme musician, is always playing in our souls. Right? Love is already in us from the time we draw our first breath, but we make life so complicated and cloudy that sometimes we forget what's already there. And Jesus calls us back to that. The greatest command is to love God. But how do you know if you're loving God? And can you command love? That's another good question. If you command love, it kind of feels like you're ruining it, doesn't it? But I think perhaps when it says you shall love, it's noting that we ought to cultivate that love and, and cherish and fuel and be fueled by that love and open ourselves up to that love. And First John, how can we know if we're loving God? First John 4.12 says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God's love lives in us and is made complete in us. And that's why I think Jesus so quickly ties in that second command, because you can't love God if you're not loving others. In fact, we had a little quote that went around on social media this week. If your theology is not inviting you to love people more, maybe it's time to change your theology. Peace activist Fran Peavy said, there are opportunities to show love all the time. It doesn't have to be complicated. She says, one time driving a cab, I picked up a woman in her nightgown. She had been sleepwalking and was lost, and she didn't, couldn't remember her way home. And I helped her find her way home. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you can love. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to always be a grand plan. It can be right where you are. Paul Gorman says, I have a friend, a chemotherapy nurse in a children's ward whose job it is to pry for any available vein in arms that are often already emaciated. 
to give infusions of chemicals that sometimes last as long as 12 hours and are often very painful to the child. He's probably the greatest pain giver the children meet in their stay in the hospital. Yet because he has worked so much with his own pain, his heart is very open. And he sees his job as the laying on of hands with love and acceptance. He's a warm, open space. And it is he whom the children ask for at the time they are dying. Although he is the main pain giver, he is also the main love giver. The strength of a building and of our theology lies in its foundation. Our theology cannot be built on fear. It cannot be built on the need to be right. It cannot be built on stories of inclusion and exclusion and who is eternally saved and who is eternally damned. It cannot be built on anything but love. And love is willing to go to every effort to make life better for those around it. Greater love, Jesus says, has no one than this, that she lays down her life for her friends. Jesus reminds us of the simplicity of it all. He cuts through confusion. He tells us it's about love. And then he goes and lives it right up until the very end. And some say that not even death had the final word. That in fact, in the end, love wins. And that, I think, is a foundation worth building on. Amen. Namaste.
you are invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.